Welcome, listeners, to episode 40 of Booth One, your podcast for the best in the art of lively conversation and your one-stop shop for all the latest in the arts and popular culture. I'm Gary Zabinski, alongside my co-host with the mostest, the charming and talented Roscoe. How are you, Roscoe? Hey, nice job on last episode when we sent you at large. Oh, thank you. You were fantastic. Andrea Markovici, Book of Mormon, something else. War else paint. War paint. You were fantastic. Well, thank you. It was one of my favorite episodes of thank all you. time. I returned to War Paint later tonight. You're going, this is tonight when you're going? Tonight, I'm, I'm seeing it Your the second, second viewing? Yes. Well, we'll have to catch up on that the next yeah, podcast. Patty wanted me to give her some notes, so I said I'd come back. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming to you once again from the confines of the beautiful Steppenwolf Theater here in Chicago, where a couple of up-and-coming theater companies have had the great good fortune to be remounting their production of a truly wonderful play called By Halia, Mississippi, under the auspices of Steppenwolf's Visiting Company Initiative. And we have... As our guests today, the playwright and the director of this fabulous production. And the leading man. Which we, as Booth One, we were invited to see at their press opening last week. Yeah, yeah. Mic drop, mic drop. (laughs) Please welcome to the show playwright Evan Linder and director Tyrone Phillips. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. How are you? And as Roscoe said, not only playwright, but you're also starring in play. Evan. Uh, It's running now at Steppenwolf, and you'll be running through August 21st here in the 1700 Theater. Many of our listeners will not have had the opportunity to see Bahalia, Mississippi yet, but if Roscoe and I are any judge of talent and fine writing, and Roscoe, I like to think that we are. Yeah. (laughs) It won't be long before this play is available to be seen by a much wider audience, I'm sure. I see New York and dozens of regional theater and foreign productions in its future. I don't want to get too specific on Bahalia on the air, but I do want to ask about our general impressions and and hear what you both have to say about the themes and messages of this play. Let me start with a really simple question for both of you, Evan and Tyrone. What's your earliest experience in the theater? I grew up in... Memphis, Tennessee. And then um, uh, we moved out to Carterville, Tennessee, when I was in middle school and was kind of raised there. And uh, we lived right off of Bihalia Road in Carterville. It is uh, seven miles north of Bihalia. Yeah. And Um, and Memphis is is what, like about 15 miles from Bihalia? Right, exactly. So uh, my first experience in theater, actually kind of full circle here with the story of Bihalia, when we first premiered this in January, we did it with four theater companies in four different cities, all mounted simultaneous full productions of the show that all debuted on the same night. That's amazing. Um, It was Toronto, Chicago. Yes, Toronto, Chicago, Memphis, and... uh, um, Was it Charleston? Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Well, you went to school, by the way. Didn't you go to Charleston, South Carolina to school? I did. So the Playhouse on the Square in Memphis is the theater that put by Hillia up in January. And they were also my very first show when I was 10 years old. 10, okay. Um, Which was as a lost boy in Peter Pan. Very full circle the night that you were there at Bihalia, uh, one of my mentors and great friends, Dave Landis, who was Captain Hook in that production of Peter Pan. Get out of here. Had completely surprised me and Liz and Cecilia, the three of us in the show who were all kind of from that region, had no idea that he was coming up here and just came up and surprised us. And that was... So you uh, were a lost boy in Peter Pan. Absolutely. And the theater bug bit you at that point. Yeah. And the rest of that is 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 history. Yeah. It's a, it's a great... 
theater community down there in Memphis. And, and for our listeners' right. sake, you're you're still at a fairly tender young age. We're talking <laughs> when you were ten. We're not talking that long ago. How, how old are you, Evan? I'm, Let me I'm ask. thirty-four years old. Tyrone, what about you? What was your first theater experience? My first experience. I grew up in Rogers Park, uh, and it would Rogers be, Park again uh, for our listeners is just a, a north uh, neighborhood of Chicago between sense. here and Evanston, That's right. uh, where the Booth One, the lovely Booth One Studios, are located. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I went, to, I, I went to Jordan Community School, which is Michael Jordan's school that you probably don't know he has over there. <laughs> My first ever experience. <laughs> Name dropper. <laughs> I was looking up the play. The, we had an adaptation of a book we did, I remember, in about third or third grade, and it was called Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. And that was the first time I ever was on stage and, like, acting. Do you remember what um, role, kind of role you no were playing? No idea. You can't remember? No idea. Third or fourth I, grade? Yeah, I have no idea, but I just remember that book and the title stuck with me. Um, and then the first time theater had a real impression on me, I would say it was in high school. I, I was in classes, and then uh, I auditioned for a show, and, and I mean, it was, the rest was history. I saw a black box. I was in football, uh, on a football team, and it was actually coming up in August, and I did not want to play football. They wanted us to drink water out of a hose outside. Uh. I was tired. I was dizzy, <laughs> and so I decided to go inside, and I literally wandered into the black box, uh, and I, I didn't know what the hell. The black box space being it's, like it's, a, a stage, uh, uh, right. black wall, and it was black empty, floor, and it just, was just an empty wide space. Empty, and yeah. I said, I don't know what happens here, but whatever it is, I want to be a part of it. And I, that was a very clear thought. For so me. It, it, it nipped you right then. Immediately. How about you, Roscoe? What was your first theater experience? I've never asked you this question. <laughs> you haven't. It was in a Christmas pageant oh, <laughs> at church. Yep. Please. Why are candles in our window? Why are lights on every tree? It's because our precious Savior is the light of the world, you see. Was that your line? Yes. I, <laughs> I, yes. It was my one line, and I got very Were nervous. you an angel, or a... I, um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know how to build a character then, so I was just frightened Ross at you were, you were not... Tell me you were not Santa Claus. No, not at that not, age. Not, not at that age. Yeah, I was my, like a stable boy or something. Wow. Now, both of you, Tyrone and Evan, you both are artistic directors at yeah. separate theater companies here in Chicago, up-and-coming fairly new theater companies mm-hmm. in the course of history of things. Yeah. Um, Evan, you're you're at the New Colony. Yes. And uh, Tyrone, you're at Definition Theater. That's Definition correct. is just a few years old, is that right? We're four years old. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this, the mission and, yeah. and the concept behind Definition. You started it with a bunch of people that you went to University of Illinois Urbana with, That right? is correct. Yeah, there's uh, about six of us that graduated, and we started the company uh, and we, we just always had opinions in, in, in school and, <laughs> and in the regular world. We just always had opinions. And I can we, tell. We, we looked to see what was missing. What was Chicago theater missing? And, uh, you know, I have great mentors who said, don't start a theater company. Just go help another one that's already existing. And so we, we, we thought long and hard. But it, our mission is to, to have a multicultural ensemble and staff. Uh, and therefore, we hope that our audience will look the same way. So it's really diversifying theater in general. Um, a lot of the places that, you, that, you know, theaters in Chicago, anywhere, I would say, the leadership doesn't look like us. And so that's exciting, and it's different, and also our age, and the next generation of artists, it's, it's, uh, that's our mission. Yeah, we want to change the yeah. face of the theater and hope that the audience will then change, too. You're also a young man. I mean, compared to Evan, you're a really <laughs> I'm young, a young man. man. I'm going to younger guess. Why? I mean, dang. I'm going to guess 25, 26. Wow. So, yeah, you're right on it. 25, I turn 26 on August 30th. Oh, yeah. 
this could be his happy birthday. Wow. Show. This is this yeah. is a happy birthday. And, <laughs> and Tyrone, I sat next to your mother. Oh no, did night you really? Here. Yes. Oh, okay. It okay. was quite exciting. She was very proud oh. of you. Oh, mama, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Evan, what about you? What tell us about your theater company? Uh, the New Colony is the new... in our eighth season right now. So we didn't have. Uh, uh, the story of several of us from the same college all moving here at the same time and starting it. M- most everybody who found it, the new county had actually been here <laughs> for a few years and uh, got told the exact same advice that Tyrone got told. Don't start a theater company. Like, why, why would you do that? Make sure that there is a reason that you want to do it. I think after about two or three years of me being here, I found several other people who kind of felt in the exact same rut, which was, had done however many shows over the course of the past year and really only felt passionate about one of them or one or two and just thinking that that track record wasn't very good for something that you needed to be fully passionate about and we all realize that you need to create your own work if you want to really fully be sustained as an artist you've got to continue to do that and we all went in with that mindset and we all went in with a process for how we would create new plays and uh, that was uh, 24 world premiere plays and musicals ago. So and musicals. Was, uh, yeah, so we have. We've done about four or five musicals. <laughs> well. And um, definitely not as many as plays, because those are hard. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hard. Yeah. yeah, and they take a long yeah. time to develop. Yeah, and and you're, the New Colony is known for really developing their scripts through the workshop process. Very organic with the actors, the director, the designers, all of them play an equally important role in, in how you develop a show. Am I, am I right about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, they're just there from the beginning, which makes it really special. We were talking about this last night with somebody, but we were talking about just what a great sense of ownership that is for actors who come in with a playwright saying, here's my story, and I want to tell this story, and I have a reason to tell it, and here's what I want to do. I need to know more about these people, specifically these people through your lens, because you will hopefully in 12 to 18 months be going up in the production of this show if uh, we do everything right up until then. Uh, So tell me who I'm writing for. Yeah, talk about that process, because I was was reading how you put the shows together. So do you, you're credited as the playwright. Right. So did you write this, or did you come up with the idea, and then you all got together and talked and improved and created things? Now, when it comes to Byhalia, Mm -hmm. Byhalia, I wrote by myself in about four days. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, That was over over the polar vortex, and I just, this was just all... Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) This this was, I wrote... (laughs) A not great first draft of <laughs> by hell yeah in four in days. days. Yes, yeah. I mean let's 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 be real here. Yeah, I wrote I, I wrote a first draft that the first about twenty two pages have really wow. never changed, and then everything after that has constantly needed workshops and needed other people in the room and needed definition really. But yeah, New County. I mean, we we have these things that we do within our process for creating shows, and we often say these are tools, not rules, Mm -hmm. because they're not the rules for each production. I brought in by Hillia and said, this is it, I'm done. It was actually written for specific people, a few of them not even in our ensemble, but we believed in the story enough, and then really felt that we needed to co-produce this, and uh, that's when Julian Parker from Definition came along to do a read, and then he welcomed in Tyrone and Neil, and then we all started hatching this plan. And is that when you and Tyrone met at that point, or it had was, you known each yeah, other? That was, I think it, it that was, was the second reading yeah. of Bahia, right? That's yeah, it. that that's was. True. Yeah, you both are 
actors as well as other things. Yeah. Um, Evan, you're a playwright, an artistic director, an actor, a director, and probably a million other things <laughs> in the theater. It, it's, it's the greatest profession in the world to be able to do everything you want to be able to do. Uh, it's it, until you get to a level where you have to really specialize. Right. At this point in Chicago, you can do a, a million things. How long have you been writing plays? I have been writing since high school. Yeah. Not, not plays specifically, though. I mean, I was I, I, I felt like a writer in high school. And then I actually got a writing scholarship to college. And then there I just kind of fell in and said, I'm a performer and that's what I want to do. It really wasn't until the new colony. I mean, I always say this, the new colony made me a writer. I, I suggested a show in the very first meeting of the new colony, like in 2007. And then the next year we were putting together our first season and we were fundraising, we were doing this and everyone was throwing out story ideas and I threw out a story idea and somehow at the end of that meeting, all of them had told me that I was writing the second <laughs> show of our first season. season. Surprise. Um, so when I say the new colony made me a writer, I mean, they made me be a writer. Uh, that was really how that happened. I know we said we didn't want to talk too much, give, give too much away for people that couldn't see the show, but if, if you were explaining to someone, if you had a 60-second pitch and said, this is what my play is about, sure. how, would, how would you describe it? Uh, this show is about people I know and care about from where I grew up. I did grow up just north of Bahia, Mississippi, and I wanted to write a show about those people in a very real and truthful way. So I stumbled upon Jim and Laurel Parker is the main couple and just sort of followed them through this story where they are about to have their first child and we see them in a kind of touchingly beautiful but really imperfect and messy relationship. Uh, it feels real to a lot of people. They're going through problems and issues but there really does seem to be love there. And I wanted to create a loving couple and say how can we put them to the ultimate test <laughs> mm -hmm. and see if they would ultimately stay together. So what happens is uh, we find out that it is not Jim's child, that Laurel has given birth to a mixed race child and that Jim will very clearly in this small town be known to not be the father. There's three other characters who kind of orbit around this couple and all have opinions mm -hmm. on what mm -hmm. they should do. So. Tyrone, you, you directed this piece uh, yeah. in its original production and in this remount here at, at Steppenwolf. What what sort of themes or, well, I yeah. dare say messages, but certainly <laughs> themes that take place throughout yeah. the script. What, what kind of themes did you focus on as a director? This is yeah, not always yeah, yeah. things that are obvious on stage That's and you true. don't even Exciting. share them with about. Yeah, you don't like, even what? share them with the actors <laughs> sometimes because yeah. if they know the theme, they'll play the theme and they won't play the, the actual yeah. moment, the truth. Yeah. We're working yeah, on love the script was huge. Um, as he said, it's about this relationship. So marriage, what what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to be married, to be committed for to someone uh, and then forgiveness is the biggest other thing I would say. When you mess up, everybody messes up. And so, uh, you know, being cheated on, unfortunately, many people have experienced that feeling. So what do you do? How do you move forward? I, I mean, I, I was getting out of a breakup when we started this play, the first rehearsals for this play. And so that was really heavy on my mind. What oh, is commitment? Yeah. What is the that? first rehearsals for this play yeah, were was, therapy. I mean, uh, <laughs> because Tyrone was asking, what about y'all? Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, how about y'all? And everyone's good. like, well, and then one person started, and mm -hmm. then the next one, I was mm -hmm. like, wow. Yeah. He really gets people talking. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the truth. It's, 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 I love it. It's, yeah. it's, it gets, gets grounded really fast. And then uh, other than that, the one thing that's really big for me 
uh, is Bobby, is the child that Evan is talking about. That child is a half black, half white child growing up in the South. And uh, it, it, right now with the world where we are right now, this story, as, as, as the papers are saying, thank God they get it, that it couldn't be more relevant and it couldn't be more timely. But this is something that I think will always be timely. We're not over it. America has hidden some secrets under the rug. And, and so exposing that truth and how do we deal with that will be something that every generation will have to deal with. So that's another one. And then I want the audience to realize that Bobby, his fate is kind of up to them as well. The big question we were asking originally was, can Jim ever see this child as his own? Jim is the father. The father play, and yeah, Evan, Evan, Evan plays exactly. Jim. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So can he see this half-black child as his own? What would that take? What would it take for a police officer to see another child in the street as their own before they take those uh-huh. drastic measures? How? How? Where does that start? But doing it the second time, the remount is when I was like, well, the audience... That they're by Hillier, Mississippi. They're the town. So how will how will we help Bobby grow up? Well, what choices will we make, and how will we treat him? And 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 so it's been. I mean, I can't watch this play anymore, honestly, because it hurts so much at this time. Well, uh, Roscoe and I and our producer enjoyed the play immensely. Yeah. Immense is not really a good enough <laughs> yeah. word. Uh, I, I think I told you, Evan, in the bar afterwards, that this is the finest play I have seen almost anywhere in years. I think the last great play I saw was The Humans on Broadway, and mm. I think this wow. is mm-hmm. every bit as good. Mm. And I congratulate you on, on it, and uh, I hope that a lot of people, listeners and, and people out there can see it again someday. You enjoyed it as well, Roscoe. I, I did, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I enjoy, we talk about this a lot on the show, we see a lot of plays that are nonlinear or told out of sequence, or they're challenging to the audience, and, and that's fine. We should be challenged. But I, I'd love to see an. Uh, do we call this an old-fashioned play? A traditional drama, beginning, middle, and end. Well, I, 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 I mean, I'm going to be. I'm going to name your play. For you. <laughs> a future it. classic. That's what I. When I read this play a for the first time, I, I, I read the first scene. And Evan talked about that. It hasn't changed, and I knew that this play. I saw this play in my head immediately. Like directing it was easy because I believe it's a future classic. People are going to do this play over and over again. And also the fact it's just exciting to watch because the stakes are always high. Yeah. There's always something happening. There's always conflict. You know, I some we talked about war paint, and I said, well, war paint is about who can sell more jars of cold cream. <laughs> how exciting can that ever be? It's not how can I love this child that's not mine. So right. the stakes are much higher from the beginning, and it's always it was like zip 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 pow pow pow. You know, it was a Monday night. I'd worked all day. I'm an old man. I crawled into the theater. I was on the edge of my seat for two hours. Some of which because you had to use the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) when you first sat down, I think. (laughs) Well, we had been drinking beforehand. I I, I mean, we had some beverages beforehand. You know, one of the luxuries we have with the show is we can edit things after we record them. (laughs) But the other luxury is that I'm in charge of the editing, so if it has to stay, it has to stay. Let me ask you both this question. What did you pretend when you were children? What, what was your favorite thing to pretend to do when you were when you were playing? I mean, some people want to be superheroes. <laughs> some really people funny. want to like, be astronauts. These Where I, do you get these questions from? I don't know. I, I think it was... <laughs> oh, I know. You, you I know. Not, I totally <laughs> know, but no one's ever asked me that yeah, before. Um, I, I think it would be like simulating uh, flight somehow. Yeah, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. A- any like huge swing I could be on? Any like jumping up nice. on a swing and getting like that... 
lift and push to where you can just fly off it, hopefully, into like some gravel. Yeah, that it, that was it. That's always what I yeah. wanted to do or wished. <laughs> Pretending you could, I could fly do. or yeah. soar or be out there in the air. How about you, Tyrone? I would play church. Believe it or not, <laughs> I would you play would. church. I would go home with my cousins, and we after going to church, and I would be the pastor. I was always the pastor, um, and I would baptize them. I would. We would have you, a whole. You service. always played we the pastor. Have, I was you, always the pastor. Not we the congregation. Praise right? and worship, all of it. We did it all. That was our imagination. That was our play. Strangely enough, but no one's ever asked me that question. So when you said, that, I was like, "What?" You hell? know what? You just made me think of. Huh. I, I also did yeah. love playing house See? when yeah. I was in <laughs> kindergarten. And I really know this and remember this because mm-hmm. there was this photo of it. They used to take our picture in kindergarten and like, what is your favorite station mm. of like, the oh, room? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they yeah, took yeah, it for yeah. me I in front of those. my house. And during our first run of Bahalia, my girlfriend from four-year-old kindergarten no. came out to the show because she lives here now and she she's a reporter. She does news reporting oh, no and everything. Way. And she just came out on the second weekend and uh, she was like, you are still playing house. <laughs> you are still playing house. Like 30 oh, years wow. later. Like that is so <laughs> awesome. I love that you get to do that. Because I remember how much you love to do that. <laughs> but we've had mm-hmm. a, lot a lot of, not even if they're current uh, residents of Bihelia. People were like, I grew up there. My mother grew up there. We had somebody at the library the other night when we went to um, yeah. talk at this event. The they library, this library. woman said, I was in the library today. I saw this sign. My mother is from Bihelia. I just had to come see what what this was about. Wow. Yeah. We, according to recent census figures, Bahalia only has like 1,300 mm-hmm. residents. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less. I'm confused, yeah. too. This is like those 400 million people who all saw Hank Aaron hit his, yeah, exactly. his record-breaking yeah. number. I was there. I was there. Yeah. I mean, this, the stadium holds 40,000, yeah, and yeah. 400 million people all, all said they were there. Yeah. Is it true that uh, locally they sometimes refer to it as Bahia? Yeah. Bahia, Bahia, yes. Bahia? Yeah, yes. And yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the best person in the world to say that is uh, Cecilia yeah. Wingate, yeah. who Hell plays yeah. Celeste in Celeste, the, the, the mother in the, in the of, of the pregnant woman in the yes. show. Exactly. Yes. She's remarkable, by the way. I don't want to reveal too much about her. Is she a company member? She is an old dear friend who yeah. I had known for 12 years, and Amazing. she was <laughs> in my head when I wrote this role. We had to bring her up from Memphis to do this show. Oh, okay. She's I not mean, from, uh, yeah. no, she she is from Memphis, Tennessee. She's the real deal. She is. She is. She's, she's, the first time around, we went down there for three days. She learned her blocking. She met her cast at the first day of tech and opened this show. She's insanely incredible. Wow. <laughs> yeah. she'd, One, been, she'd been reading the role since yeah, like the very course, first readings she, of yeah. it and everything. Yeah, but, I mean, no, she, she scheduling, she did not yeah. get to walk up on the stage until, until about exactly. five days before an yeah. audience. And, and didn't and she, 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 she jump win a Jeff yes, Award? Yes, she did. She did. Supporting, supporting actress. actress. Yeah, she did. Fantastic. One, one of your characters in the play, Evan, says, I love Bahalia. I, I, I'm not leaving. I love living here. Mm. Do you, did you love growing up in the Deep South? What was that like? Because uh, Chicago is pretty removed mm. from that kind of environment. I don't think it is, though. Really? I think Chicago and Memphis are very similar places in a lot of ways. I think that there is just a mood and demeanor that mm-hmm. makes places different than each other. I actually think both cities are at their core extremely friendly cities. <laughs> I think it's in different ways. I love where I'm from. I don't think anybody ever says, I love where I grew up. 
more than anywhere else. Because usually you're, a lot of times your last memories of where you're growing up is kind of wishing and just wanting to be somewhere else. <laughs> and go off and to do something else because you feel like you've already seen everything there is here. I love Memphis. I love going back home. I love uh, the fact that the theater that I played a lost boy in Peter Pan, <laughs> at, um, uh, uh, which was this the theater, Playhouse on the Square, when I was there. That theater is now their second stage, and they have a huge new stage across the street. Mm-hmm. Hattie Lou Theater just moved in next door. There is a theater district in it's Midtown Memphis right now that is just thriving. Yeah. Um, it makes me want to go back very badly, not only because I love the people there, but because it just feels great to know the thing that I was interested in and like the people who made me want to be interested in it are still succeeding Empires, b- yeah. beyond yeah. Uh, imagination down there. Well, so. What did you think of it down there, Tyrone, when you went down to visit and yeah, see the town? Yeah, that was amazing. To see the community, to see the district was amazing. The different sizes, uh, the support, and it's just, I, I, Evan's right, that the, what Chicago has, I think they have too, that feeling of family, of community. They're I mean, I, I I had food. I was taken care of when I went down there. It was a really amazing time, and it's it's inspiring to see for their town to be on the map now. You know, through this play, it's it's, it's incredible. I wanted to uh, mention something outside of uh, Bahalia, Mississippi, and and you guys. We had a excerpt from a Sondheim presentation we did mm-hmm. up at Writer's Theater on our last episode. Here's an update about Sondheim. I don't know if you've heard this, Roscoe, but, you know, he's working on a new show with David Ives, the the, uh, the playwright. Yeah, well, it's been announced that it's going to take place in late 2017. Y- you guys are interested in musical theater, right? Of course you sure. are. Yes, of course. You were in, you were in Hairspray. Yeah, yeah, you did musicals. <laughs> he's doing a play, a piece that takes two Louis Buñuel movies, who was an expressionist uh, filmmaker in the 60s, early 70s. He's taking two of his films and making them into a one piece. First act will be one of them. It'll be uh, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1972. And the second half will be The Exterminating Angel, uh, a Spanish film from 1962, which is about a bunch of people who gather for a dinner party and they all go into a room and then somehow none of them can leave. And they, they just stay there for, like, ever. Wow. Interestingly enough, there's an opera that uh, opened in Austria of The Exterminating Angel just recently. And it's coming to the Met at the end of, of 2017. And they're going to be doing them simultaneously. So you'll be able to see the opera at the Met. And then you could go down to the public theater and see what Stephen Sondheim made mm. of the whole project. I love Stephen Sondheim, but could he ever write... Like the Music Man, or just something fun. <laughs> could we? Could we write a good time musical? Uh, yeah, I wanted to kill myself for a year after I saw Passion the first time. <laughs> well, merrily we roll along is kind of a big good time musical, oh, yeah. except it goes, it's backwards. It goes backwards in time, and do you see how? People descend into alcoholism, and then you go backwards, and they're perky 18-year-olds whose lives are going to blow up in their face. <laughs> that was a happy, happy experience. What's, what's not joyous about that? I don't know. I want to go back to your show and say another thing that I appreciated about it. Until I was five or six years old, we lived in Cullman, Alabama, which is 60 miles from Birmingham, the deep, deep south. This was in the late 50s and the early 60s. So I know that milieu. And we went, we, we stayed friends with people from Cullman. They came to visit us the rest of my parents' lives. 
we went down there every couple of years to visit. And one of the things I really appreciated about your show, and, and, and I guess you would know to write it this way because you lived there, is you're writing about people who were poor, who have not had education or opportunity, but they're not stupid people. You're not condescending to the characters. You show great respect to them. And they're, they're smart, intelligent people with a sense of yeah. decency. And, um, and I appreciated that because I think it's so easily in, when you see films, it's like a, you know, a cop movie that's set in the Deep South, uh, it's often condescending characterizations yeah. of Southerners. Yeah. So I appreciated that. I did not start writing this show with any sort of uh, chip on my shoulder at all. I knew that I was writing about home and that I was writing about home in a way that I have very rarely seen done before uh, because I do bristle a lot at uh, portrayals of Southerners uh, and the caricatures of them and the way that people can make the same assumptions that you're making right there. And that is just not my experience. What I, my hope for this show was that anybody anywhere could still root for this couple and forget for a moment uh, how they could be described as, well, they're red staters. They are churchgoers. They are probably voting for the person I would not like to vote for. I wanted people to forget all of that and really just see them as humans by the end of the show because I see that so rarely. One of the things that makes this play so great, I think, and a, a future classic, as you said, <laughs> Tyrone, is that you write these people and they're not always likable. They don't mm. always have likable mm -hmm. traits, mm -hmm. which is great in characterization, first of all. They all have sort of fatal flaws. Because nobody is always likable. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they all have their fatal flaws. So at some point, I, I didn't. I wasn't sure mm -hmm. which way this play was going to go. Who was going to take the fall for all of this? Because you know, there's only a few. There's only a few plot summaries that you can write about. Yeah. All of these characters are treated with love, respect, and dignity. And no matter what they do and what they say to each other. There's always the next moment where it kind of shifts to, well, I can see why she said that. It, it, no one's completely mean. No one's uh, completely destructive. No one's out to really get anybody. You realize that they're all lovable people in their own, in their own kind of way. And, and I so appreciated that um, and in your writing. Yeah, and to go further, I feel like one of the beautiful things I say over and over again about this play is that all of these characters, we watch them all change in front of us drastically. Not one character walks on, it comes into that house and then leaves the same. And that's not that's not something you see in every play. Is you would you know maybe the couple you would focus on Jim and Laura only. And yeah, the story is their story, but we watch everyone's worldview change. That's incredible. That's something that kept me going, and it's really exciting to work with the actors that we had in the room because they were all just fantastic. And that's an interesting point. You know what it makes the the set, and it's a single set play. It all yeah. takes place in the living room, kitchen, dining area of, of a house, oh, and then yeah. there's an outside and, <laughs> yeah. a, and a roof scene. <laughs> because everybody who comes into that house changes before they leave that house in some way. Either their mind changes or their attitude changes or their emotions change. It makes the house almost come alive itself. Oh, yeah. It's a real character in the piece. Again, I, I have to equate that to the humans. That set of the humans worked as another character. Mm. That's why it worked so beautifully and won, won a Tony Award. Some of the themes I wrote down, 
just off the top of my head, yeah. were, as you said, forgiveness, acceptance, denial, hmm. uh, redemption, fidelity, family, love. Those are all things that I got out of the play when I was Definitely. watching it. And, and you, you've confirmed that those, those were the key themes that you were looking at as you, as you directed it, eh, Tyrone? It is. In any play, I think, finding the truth of, of, of a character and, and not making them a bad way, making them a villain. They're likable, but again, I think it's because every actor is portraying real people struggling to just live their everyday lives. They're everyday heroes, the best kind of theater. That's what I love. Everyday heroes. And I don't want to give you cuters for something that I that I, I decided was your touch. Okay, come on. So just, <laughs> just take credit for it, I even will. if I'm wrong. I'll take my head, yeah. Uh, what do you call the, the gravel that they walk? It's that big orange gravel pieces that are part of the sidewalk on the set. Uh, gravel. gravel. Just gravel. I think you're right. Yeah, I think gravel, gravel is right. Yeah. Anyway, I thought this was a great moment towards the end of the show. <laughs> Ross uh, struggles to understand what gravel is. Gravel. <laughs> a great moment towards the end of the show where I think it's the mother. The mother and the daughter have a final blowout. Mm-hmm. And then the mother walks out of the house. There's, fin- there's no dialogue. Everyone stopped talking. Walks out of the house, and then the only sound you hear is the gravel crunching yeah. under mm-hmm. her feet. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh! That's, yeah. that's such a great moment. Yeah, yeah. and that's a magical. I'll, I'll take, I'll nod and yes, take credit. Also, John Wilson, I have to say his name, because he, uh, he also, that set is, is made out of love. Uh, again, I asked everyone the first day of rehearsal, I told give me your all. What are we waiting for? Give me your hearts, give me everything you got, and look <laughs> at what that did. It's yeah. It's been an incredible experience. But the, John Wilson, I gotta give him. I gotta give him some of that. That too. gravel sound. <laughs> and th- another aspect that makes that house come alive. It is. It and, does. and and be a real character. Watching everyone come in and out before they, they yeah. enter the house. I, mean, I just love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah, Evan. I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned earlier because I know that this is is close to your heart and was a very very important thing. This play was done on the same day in four different cities in January. And then a week or so later, it was done in three other cities at the same time. Not just one performance, but they all did their opening performance. And then all seven of these cities got in a conversation about the play called a world premiere conversation, I believe. And there's there's a website with a blog where you can read people's comments. How did that all come about? How damn difficult was that to coordinate? (laughs) And and how cool was that as a playwright to see that kind of feedback, I mean, instantly from seven different locations? Right. Take any of those questions. (laughs) Uh, Playhouse on the Square in Memphis named by Helia the winner of their new play competition Mm -hmm. that they were having. Congratulations. And when they had done that, they set the date for January 8th. And at that time, we were up here talking with... Definition, and then uh, we reached out and said, uh, "Let's do it at the same time." Yeah. So it was eight theater companies total yeah. over seven cities. Uh, four of them were full productions that ran through the month. Three of them were staged readings that they cast and staged and invited people out to. Of all those other cities, almost all of them had done a new colony show previously. Almost all of them had done the same one, which was a previous show that. Uh, I had written with my partner Andy, which is Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche. Uh, another so, thing I want to get to because it's my favorite <laughs> title in the world. So, so that pitch was really saying, yeah. uh, I know that you all had a lot of fun with our uh, very silly, Different. absurdist <laughs> comedy set in the 1950s, and this is my new play, and it is about a 180 from that show. 
Just say the name again. Five lesbians eating a key. Uh, (laughs) And they, Toronto was just doing a stage reading until August, and then they finally had a grant come through from the Mm. city of Toronto for them to stage it as a full production. I mean, that was an exciting day, because that was about two days before we started and said, we're going to have four cities doing it at the same time. That's amazing. But yeah, it was a blast. How hard was it? I mean, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. It took about a year Mm -hmm. to to Mm -hmm. truly do um, and to... uh, uh, have everybody meeting up in that Facebook group so about four cool months though. before and say, here we go. And, you know, they're sharing their set designs and sharing this. And Maria, yeah. our script supervisor, was sending them all the new pages when we were changing them in Chicago. Oh, my God, you're oh, kidding. All yeah. the other cities oh, yeah. are getting these. You'd make changes here, pages. and you'd send them to Toronto yes. and Charleston and oh, Memphis yeah. and oh, say, hey, uh, there's a new scene, too. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, yeah. Scotch yeah. the crossover at the Icebox. Yeah. 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 So then the Toronto <laughs> cast is all sending MP3s of them uh, talking and saying, how's our dialect? Are we okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. they were... Great. And, and you mean, said, surprisingly, who had the best dialect when they were in rehearsal? Uh, I think Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. no, seriously. Yeah. Seriously, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody had that. And uh, honestly, Memphis never really thought of it as a dialect. Right. Just because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we could turn something here, something <laughs> here, just very character-based. Right. You know, but, I mean, we don't have to put anything on to try and talk, like, Byhalia, because yeah. we could all conceivably be from Byhalia. But no, it, it it is a little bit tough because it's a different type of accent. It is not this slow kind of. It's uh, not Georgia. It's right. not Georgia. It's or even know. Alabama. Or no. Yeah. Yeah. no, I mean, not. this is North Mississippi it's and we not. talk fast and we got yeah. hard R's and we hit those R's. <laughs> and like, you know, there's a lot of Southerners who don't pronounce R's. But no, I mean, our R's are like the Strong. most important thing in the entire world. So what a luxury right. for you also to then get feedback mm-hmm all at the same time from six other productions other than the one you're working on here as a playwright. How valuable was that for you when you were reevaluating the script? You know, you'd have to get on a plane and go visit each of these cities to see your show, but you were able to do it electronically, digitally, right? Right. You know what I would say the one thing, and this is so interesting, and this was a change Mm -hmm. that I've made from January until now, and it's about... Celeste, Celeste is revealed uh, near the end of the show to have uh, some very, very rigid uh, kind of fundamentalist beliefs when it comes to her religion. In Memphis, when we saw that production and that moment kind of hits up and comes to it, that was not a shock to anybody that that is Celeste's reaction because of course this is a God-fearing Baptist woman. Mm -hmm. Like just, Mm -hmm. of course she is. Of course this is pressing on her heart. This is why she acts the way she does for the entire show. Up here in Chicago, we did talk to several people who say that kind of came out of nowhere. And I would always say, does it it really? And like I had just never wanted that Mm -hmm. to be anything that felt like it was coming out of nowhere. And I could not wrap my head around the fact that that might not translate culturally to somewhere else. So now it was very simple and very small, just kind of throughout the show. It was really just kind of uh, taking something Celeste was saying and just putting a little spin on it for this version here. So, you know, of course she goes to Bible study. Of course she is a God-fearing woman. Of course, of course she has a relationship with the Lord. Of course she prays every morning. I mean, that was always something that That was was so crystal clear to me about that character that... 
felt surprising here, I imagine probably in Toronto as well, um, and wasn't the case in Memphis or probably not in Charleston yeah. either. That story you just told was fascinating. Was there any other feedback that you got that was surprising to you? I mean, nothing's been surprising. It's been across a huge spectrum, though. I think the thing that's been most interesting to me is uh, who forgives which characters mm. and uh, for what, because I think the audience, everybody comes in with kind of their different mm -hmm. levels of what they would be able to forgive. And uh, it is fascinating yeah. to kind of look across the board and see people uh, look at the exact same situation and uh, feel totally different ways about it. And I think those are the things where I really want to sit there and listen just for a long time and say I, I'm just fascinated that people can have such vastly different responses to the exact same situation. I want to switch gears away from Bahalia for just a minute again. Evan, you teach playwriting at the University of Chicago. You're an adjunct yes. professor. What, what's your approach to students hmm. in playwriting? What, what kind of principles do you hope to either instill in them or get them to take with them when they leave your class. Get out of first draft. Get out of first draft. Get it out. Stop. And stop having people <laughs> tell you that you can't. Most of all, you. Because you're telling yourself that you cannot finish the first draft of a play. And you will never write a good play until you write hmm. that first bad first draft. So, come on. Let's write a bad first draft. And let's go. And that's, that's what's going to be due by the end of this. You will be for most of my classes, I mean, they are hopefully at about the mark where they're about 70 to 80% through the first draft of their play gotten so far that there's no way you could stop now. There's no way that you could not finish doing what you just started. That is the hugest hurdle for not even young playwrights, playwrights. Get out your first draft. <laughs> it's been said that everyone has a great novel inside them. Oh, yeah. Do you think everyone has a great play oh, inside yeah. them, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think everyone's got great stories. I mean, it's not that everyone has a great play inside of them. I think everyone's got great stories. And where, where do your talents lie? How do you want to get that story out into the world? I use Ira Glass so much in uh, my classes just as somebody of look at the way he crafts a story. Listen to how he pulls you in and then pulls you out. Listen to his rise and his fall and uh, where he goes to build his climax. Like, that is uh, how to tell a story, right? You can do the exact same thing on page using the exact same elements and the exact same, you know, structure and tools and everything like that. But I'm so glad that Ira Glass does what he does and doesn't write plays. And he probably does have a yeah. great play inside yeah. him. But he, like he, he might have one in his drawer. You know, but he he has mastered that medium as a storyteller. And like that's so fascinating. To Roscoe, me. did you ever try to write a play? Oh, gee, do I have to answer that? <laughs> I thought about writing a play once, but I couldn't get it out of first draft. <laughs> now I've been inspired. Maybe you need to go to a class. I'm, I'm going to go home and look through old boxes for yellowed sheets of paper. <laughs> because as our listeners know, you're, you're a phenomenally gifted storyteller. You have great anecdotes. Of 
course, you can't make a play out of anecdotes. No, well, maybe you true. can. <laughs> I don't know. You could call it anecdote. And anecdotes. it's just people telling random stories yes. about things that they did. So you, you've you never tried to write a play, or you have, and it's just not worked out? Maybe I don't want to share it with our audience, Gary. <laughs> Here, have a Kleenex. Oh, You're yeah. tearing up. Uh, I've tried to write taping. a play. In fact, I wrote an absurdist play based on Beckett and Ionesco. And at the end of it, these doves descend out of the grid and they just keep cooing. They coo for three pages. <laughs> that, was, that was the that easiest was A I ever got. Great. It was fantastic. You I, to, I'm going I'm to guess that your play off. will not be a comedy. My play will not be a comedy. <laughs> um, Evan, what, you have to do uh, fight choreography. What do, you do, what do you have to do now? Uh, there's a fight in there's a the struggle. Play. There's a struggle scene in there, the play between is. you and another ca- male character. Mm-hmm. Yes, so each night we have to run that a couple of times and make sure we're not about to go out there and, and hurt ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Mud. Mud. <laughs> Mud speed. Yeah, see, I've, I, I have problems doing it at the slower speed at fight call like we're supposed to. Like I just always get excited and just want to go. So that's what everyone has to scream at me from uh, while they're out there. Like our fight captain and everything is screaming mud at me because I'm supposed to be going as if I'm trudging through mud. Uh, that's, uh, that's just hard for me to do. Slow-mo. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you both possibly this last question because I know you do have to get to your fight rehearsal. Tyrone, if you had to do anything other than theater, and I know that's what you've chosen right now, mm. what, what sort of occupation do you think you'd be happiest doing? Other than theater. Crazy enough, I might have to say a pastor. I take care of people. I was going to guess that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you could do both. That's true. I've done a million things right now. You could be the, <laughs> you could be the acting pastor. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You'd be fantastic. Evan, how about you? If, there, if you had to right now say, no, I'm not, you can't do this anymore. You've got to do something else. What, what do you think you'd be happiest doing? The only thing I'm thinking of right now is... Like not a pastor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the same thing. So as I, I know. I'm, I know. I'm, with, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Tyrone would be a great pastor. <laughs> he would. I, I just haven't had to think about that in uh, a long time. I mean, I think it's more about what would I not do again. That's a good question. What, what, mm. what wouldn't you do again? I, I would not wait tables again. I wouldn't then also not ever wait tables again or then go back to waiting tables again <laughs> or then wait tables again. No, I'm going to have to get a job to waiting tables. I really yeah. think I might. Uh, <laughs> how long has it I'm been? Serious. How, how long has it been it's, since it's, you waited it's, tables? It's, it's, it's been about three and a half years uh, mm-hmm. and it, it, it was it was over a decade of, of food and beverage. But yeah. I mean, in between all that, you know, I um, canvassed door to door and uh, I... This was the okay. I got, got it. it this was my oh, one. Is, the, okay, is, this was my one is. great stage. Um, <laughs> uh, was I got to work for a company out in the suburbs, and what they did was they built pieces for uh, kids' parties. Mm. So it was like well, what sort of pieces? Like decor- decorative pieces. Whoa. Like this is the decorations for your kids' party. We've themed the party out. You just tell us what they're interested in, and then we will build it. So my job, and I did have a background, uh, the first theater that I worked at, I was acting in the shows, but then I was also working in the scene shop and doing all that. So at this place, I got to like, okay, great. It's a Nintendo party, so I would build like these six-foot-tall like Mario's and Luigi's out of yes. styrofoam. Yes. And, you know, and these would be like, 
Awesome. For for bar mitzvahs or for, you know, uh, soccer team's end of the year party or, you know, I did a lot of soccer balls. I remember that. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, no, I loved doing that, yeah. actually. Did you? Like, yep. Yeah, I mean, that was like yeah. your... Uh, kind of building a set yeah. for somebody's party. And uh, then would you go and install it as well and then yes. maybe see the reaction of the kids? Did you get to no, see the never, whole experience? No, I would never, no, I didn't no, care about doing too that. that's too bad. Because <laughs> I, I would have disguised myself and snuck in with yeah, a camera no. or peeked over the fence but not, unless you'd get arrested think, for that kind of thing. I think they would have oh, yeah. always disappointed me whatever their reaction would have cool. been. Yeah, I would have been true. like, that's you're true. not excited enough. It's, you're yeah, like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're 12 and you're not excited about anything for like the next four years and that stinks because I just built you a, a kick-ass Luigi. He's like six feet tall. Like I'm, I'm thrilled by it. You know, yeah. Well, um. you both are fantastic. I, I see nothing but great things for both of you in the theater arts. Whatever direction you choose to really focus on, playwriting, directing, acting, I, I plan to watch both of your careers very closely. How about you, Roscoe? I do as well. And, and perhaps one day you'll be in a restaurant and you'll look up at me and you'll wonder, who, you'll, I'll look vaguely familiar to you. Who's that aging waiter? And I'll say, would you like an Oliver twist with that, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, oh, oh, how sad. Oh, how I, the mighty have fallen. Oh, I thought you were about to tell that story like reversed. Right, right, right. <laughs> we do, we do. You're about to say when you come over you to my table. Be, yeah. 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 Um, no, no, no. Still, no. Do you remember? Do you have yeah. a New York production lined up for this? Uh, no. Would you like to have a New York production lined up? Um, I would like this play to be seen anywhere. Um, anywhere because five lesbians eating a quiche did have a New York production off off Broadway. Very right? ran- very randomly and wonderfully. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we just took it out for the French Fest. Now, is um, it really five lesbians, and are they really eating a quiche, or is that <laughs> symbolic is in some way? A title and a plot description <laughs> exactly. all in one. Well, yeah. I think that that, that that's is, perfect. That works. Well, yeah. we thoroughly enjoyed your company. Many thanks to Evan Linder and Tyrone Phillips for being our guests today. Thanks for. Have a great show tonight, Evan. Congratulations to you, Tyrone, and all the best to both of you. Thanks for joining us on Booth One. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, they were delightful guests, and we are so pleased to have them. We're going to finish our episode this week, as usual, with our Kiss of Death segment. Roscoe, you'll be very interested in this one. Marnie Nixon, the singing voice behind the screen. Marnie Nixon spent her career being heard but not seen. The versatile unsung soprano was Hollywood's leading ghost singer in the 1950s and 60s, providing vocal performances for actresses with underwhelming voices. It's her, crystalline soprano, that pours from the mouths of Deborah Kerr in The King and I, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, and Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Deborah Kerr was nominated for an Academy Award, in 1956 for her role as Anna in The King and I, and the film's soundtrack album sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Uh, For singing Anna's part on that album, Miss Nixon received a total of $420. Yes, you heard that correctly, $420. The voice of an angel heard by Ingrid Bergman in Joan of Arc, well, that was Miss Nixon's. The songs of the nightclub singer played by Miss Kerr in An Affair to Remember, also Miss Nixon. 
The second line of the couplet, but square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape, with its pinpoint high note on there from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Well, that was Miss Nixon too. Marilyn Monroe, of course, sang the rest of the number, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. The job required Nixon to embody their speech patterns. You have to know how they feel, Miss Nixon said, as well as how they talk in order to sing as they would sing. If they could sing. Born in the Los Angeles suburb of Altadena, Nixon found her true calling at age 11 after winning a singing contest, apparently, at a country fair. She began taking vocal lessons, and at 17, she appeared as a soloist with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. To cover the cost of her singing classes, Nixon took a job as a messenger at MGM Studios. Well, one day, composer Bronislav Kaper stopped her in the corridor and challenged her to sing a song in Hindi. Nixon obliged, and Caper hired her to sing a lullaby for child actress Margaret O'Brien in The Secret Garden in 1949, launching her career as a ghost singer. Because Hollywood didn't want audiences to know its stars couldn't sing, Nixon's contributions went uncredited. You always had to sign a contract that nothing would be revealed, Miss Nixon once told ABC News. 20th Century Fox, when I did The King and I, threatened me, they said, if anybody ever knew that you did any part of the dubbing for Deborah Kerr will see to it that you don't work in town again. Well, after the King and I soundtrack, Nixon started campaigning for royalties. Composer Leonard Bernstein offered her a sliver of his royalty share for West Side Story. It amounted to a major payday for her, given the album's huge sales. Miss Nixon did occasionally take center stage, like when she played Eliza Doolittle in a 1964 revival of My Fair Lady in New York. And in 1965, Miss Nixon can be seen on camera in a small role as a singing nun in The Sound of Music. On Broadway, Miss Nixon appeared in the musical drama James Joyce's The Dead in 2000, the 2001 revival of Stephen Sondheim's Follies, and the 2003 revival of Nine. But it was her work as a ghost that is enshrined forever in the cinematic canon. West Side Story won the Oscar for Best Picture of 1961. My Fair Lady won for 1964. Both films remain perennials on television. Miss Nixon, who continued singing until she was in her 80s, eventually came to regard her heard-but-not-seen life with affection. She paid it homage in a one-woman show, Marnie Nixon, the voice of Hollywood, with which she toured the country for years. She did, likewise, in a memoir, I Could Have Sung All Night, published in 2006. But ghost singers who were once a Hollywood mainstay have now, for the most part, become ghosts themselves. Marnie Nixon, one of Hollywood's unseen stars. She was 86. Hey, review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, email us at alist at booth-one.com, and if you go to our website at www.booth-one.com and sign up for our mailing list, we'll send you a free guide to creating your own Booth One experiences. Many thanks to rising stars Evan Linder and Tyrone Phillips for being our guests today. We thoroughly enjoyed your company and your conversation. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski and Roscoe saying keep listening and so long until next time.